It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas mistruths or misconceptions and it is getting us into a world of hurt is it freedom or is it force let's have a conversation indeed and welcome to the kim munson show be sure and check out our website that is kim munson m-o-n-s-o-n.com sign up for our weekly newsletter there and you can email me at kim at kim as well and thank you to each and every one of you who support us we're an independent voice we search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force force versus freedom if something's a good idea you shouldn't have to force people to do it and remember my friends it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff whether or not it's their rights their property their freedom them livelihood opportunity or their lives and force comes in a number of different packages some of them are weapons or policy unpredictable and excessive taxation fear coercion government-induced inflation the world economic forum davos globalist elites agenda or those new eighty-seven thousand irs agents that are authorized in the democrats inflation i have that in air quotes inflation reduction act and that's why we look at these issues so that you can get your brain around them. And uh, it's Labor Day. We have pre-recorded this show with one of uh, your favorite uh, guests, and that is Bill Fetter. He is the founder of the American Minute, which is broadcast throughout the country. And uh, you can find him at AmericanMinute.com. Correct, Bill? Do I have that right? Yes, yes. AmericanMinute.com. Bill Fetter, it's always a pleasure to have you on, and, and we normally do these for special occasions, and uh, it's Labor Day, and uh, so our quote for the, the to begin the show with, I, I would go to, I went to Henry Ford, you know, the founder of Ford Motor Company, uh, created the, the Model T so that everyday people had freedom of mobility, and uh, amazing what he did for our modern life. But he said this, Bill Fetter, he said, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably the reason that so few engage in it what do you think of that (laughs) uh yeah well uh, we actually have a school system that's designed to not have people think uh rather than this uh, what they used to call a liberal arts education where you're trained to think critically uh now they're just trained to obey and to fit in it's behavior modification that's taking place but uh, but labor day has a very interesting history and um if you like, I can dive into it. And, and yes, and I just wanted to make one other comment on that. I served on city council for four years, and so I sat in a number of these different meetings, which uh, was the PBIs, I call them, those politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties. They're not creating anything. They're figuring out how to live off the entrepreneurs and creative uh, people out there that are creating businesses and, and all. And I know that seems a little harsh, but it actually is. But they would sit around and say, how can we educate for the work? Workforce. And I'm thinking that is not what education is for, is to educate for a workforce. It's this classical liberal education that uh, gives kids the tools, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, history, civics, uh, critical thinking, all those things, so that they can go after their hopes and dreams. Our job is not to educate for a workforce. What's your thoughts on that, Bill Fetter? Yeah, well, you know, education uh, originally was just done uh in churches, it was actually the Catholic Church that started the university system. 
there were eight major at Malone and Oxford and so forth. And um, at the same time, uh, Islam was closing. The They had a uh, golden age of Islam with people like Al-Farabi and Avicenna, and they were like teaching Greek classics in Arabic. But then you had a Muslim leader named um, uh, Ghazali, and uh, he uh, said we should discourage anyone from studying Greek geometry because it could be pulled into Greek philosophy and get uh, pulled away from Islam. And so he shut the door on the Islamic mind. Uh, and whereas, uh, and so that got, he's called a mujahideen, a renewer of the faith, and he's the second most important person in Islam after Muhammad, uh, Ghazali. And anyway, so they had a closing of the mind where in Western Europe you had education, you had Thomas Aquinas, and his idea was, yeah, you can read the Greek classics, just eat the hay and spit out the sticks, you know. <laughs> um, and so uh, this prepared the Western mind for the Renaissance. And then the invention of the printing press and the spreading of reading and writing, and people could teach their kids the Bible. And and then you had in colonial America, it was churches that started schools. Uh, Harvard was a Puritan school, and you know Yale was a Congregationalist school, and Princeton was a Presbyterian school, and Brown was a Baptist school. And but then you had Napoleon, and he uh, six million died in the Napoleonic Wars, lots of orphans. And so a guy named uh, Johann Pestizoli, uh, a Swiss-Italian, meets with Napoleon and says, what are we going to do with all these immigrant kids? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, orphaned kids. And Napoleon blows them off. But Pestizoli decides he's going to gather these kids and teach them. And he starts a public school system, and it begins to be adopted in different you know, kingdoms across Europe for these orphans. This is in the early 1800s. And so this idea comes across to America in what's called common schools. And so where each church had their own school system, all these immigrants, they decided, let's, let's just teach them what we all agree in common. Uh, King James Bible, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Our Father. And so they would begin to uh, have these common schools. But then uh, you had a lot of Catholic immigrants come over, and some of the priests brought with them some of the religious contentions. And they didn't like the uh, Catholic little immigrant kids being taught the Ten Commandments in the Protestant order. People say, I didn't know they ordered them differently. Yeah, uh, the Catholics combined the first two and split the tenth, but it's the same content, and it's almost like you go back to the Greeks and Hebrews sort of did the same thing. And then the, uh, the Protestants added on at the end of the Our Father, for thine is the kingdom, power, glory, forever and ever. And then little things by today's standards, they had protest in the streets, and then it responded with, you know, attacking convents and burning church, Catholic churches. And, and so in New York, with all these Irish immigrants that now made up about half of New York City, uh, the Archbishop, John Hughes, takes all the Catholic students out of the Protestant common schools and creates the parochial school system. So you had two school systems in America, the public school system, which was Protestant, and the parochial school system, which was Catholic. And then you had um, a backlash to all these Irish immigrants. I mean, the Catholic, at the time of the founding, 98% of the country was Protestant. Uh, Three million people. Um, oh, there's only one percent Catholic. Thirty thousand Catholics in a country of three million people. Catholics were only allowed in three colonies originally: Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New York. And there was only one tenth of a percent Jewish in America. It was a predominantly Protestant country. And but when the Irish potato famine happened, millions of Irish immigrants, the Catholic population went from one percent to twenty percent in a decade. And so there was a backlash against this, and many states passed 
these James Blaine amendments. He was mm-hmm. a senator from mm-hmm. Maine. And it prohibited tax money from going to Catholic schools. They didn't call them Catholic. They called them sectarian. But these laws got on the books. And, um, and so different states could do it, handle it differently. And over time, many states broadened, 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 until finally uh, you had uh, 1947. Uh, there was a case like uh, where a nun was a public school teacher. And she was doing a good job, and they wanted to force her to take off her habit, her outfit, um, and said, well, even if she's a really good teacher, she's going to attract kids to like her and maybe become Catholic. And so the the Catholic-Protestant contention was really heated up. And then you had 1947's Everson versus Board of Education. Some Catholic kids are getting taxpayer-funded bus rides to Catholic schools, and Protestants didn't like that. They bring a lawsuit. It goes to the Supreme Court. Justice Hugo Black says the bus rides can continue, but from now on, the federal government is going to take religion out of the state's jurisdiction put under the federal. And then 10 years later, 1957, the Washington Ethical Society wants tax exemption as a religious uh, organization. IRS says no, and then the Supreme Court says no, ethical culture is now considered a religion. 1960, Maryland an atheist wants to be a notary, but doesn't want to say, so help me God at the end of his oath. The state says no. Well, uh, the Supreme Court says, well, we have new religions in America. Some don't acknowledge a supreme being, such as secular humanism. And then you have draft dodgers during the Vietnam War. Elliot Welsh, and he wants to claim religious, conscientious, objector status as an atheist. Army says no. Supreme Court says no. If someone holds beliefs with the same conviction as those who believe in a traditional deity, to that person, those beliefs constitute their religion. You even had a case in 2005. Okay, so, so question. So did the Supreme Court, how did they rule on that? Did they rule uh, in favor of this guy? Yeah, so they kept broadening the definition of religion to include atheism. Got it. So atheism is officially a religion. All okay. people say, well, you just got to get rid of religion. Okay, well, let's start with the atheistic religion. It's defined as a religion. It's a set of beliefs, a belief system. Mm-hmm. And so why is this important with the school system? Once the federal government, because of these bus rides um, and then the, the Supreme Court stepping in, once the federal government took control, they began to say, okay, we're not going to discriminate based on religion. We're no longer Protestant Catholic. Now we're just going to say any belief system. But ironically, by kicking God out, they're establishing, by their own definition, the religion of atheism. Right. And, and of Good course, point. now they're bringing in Islam and they're giving it favored status. And so, um, uh, so it's, it's interesting this push that took place with education. But, but original, and now we got critical theory coming in, which basically weaponizes the education system. For those not familiar. Critical theory is a divide-and-conquer concept. It's a Marxist idea where you study a country, divide it into subgroups, and then pit the subgroups against each other with hate. And then once it destabilizes the country, everybody cries out for order to be restored, and the government can usurp, take away guns, take away freedom, take away everything in order to restore order, but then you transition from a bottom-up type of government to a top-down type of government. Wow, that is... (laughs) Uh, we've had conversations with a number of different uh, guests regarding uh, 
CRT or critical race theory or critical theory. And uh, in fact, we have a, um, a, a black guy up in northern Colorado who is making this, you know, one of the focuses. He has a day job, but then volunteer time is explaining that this is pitting groups against each other and how dangerous this is. And uh, and, and he's nailed it. But I, I would say that you, you pretty well have given me the, the most concise definition of a CRT that we have out there. Bill, we're going to go to break. I'm talking with Bill Fetter, and uh, he is just a wealth of knowledge and, and of wisdom about uh, all kinds of things. Uh, and you can find him at AmericanMinute.com. He has written a number of different books. So would highly recommend that you check that out. The show comes to you because of a lot of great sponsors. And one of those is Hooters Restaurants. And they've been sponsors of both my shows for many years, of uh, the Kim Munson Show and America's Veteran Stories. And I got to know them from when I was on city council. And it's a really interesting story about freedom and capitalism and free markets. We've got that on the website. Uh, that is at KimMunson.com. But it is a great place to get together. They have wonderful lunch uh, specials. And uh, also Wednesdays are Wings Day. You buy uh, 20 wings, you get 10 for free. And when I have uh, all the girls over, I normally will get those to go or to, and you can do those for dining in as well. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Bill Fetter. Stay tuned. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Hey, everybody. Roots Medical here with an exciting update about the practice. In addition to specialties in hormones, thyroid, and gut health, Roots Medical is thrilled to now offer pediatrics. Scheduling is easy, and the appointments are comprehensive, genuine, and focused on your child. Take control of your child's health care by scheduling at Roots Medical. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health care concerns. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out her website. That is KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N. Com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, we have pre-recorded this show for Labor Day with Bill Federer. He is the founder of the American Minute. You can find it at AmericanMinute.com. These are little vignettes of history. Uh, but he has written many, many books. And we were talking about education and we'll get to his thoughts on Labor Day but I found this fascinating what you uh, said regarding public education in America today is being used um, through curriculum to put people into different groups and instead of recognizing the 
beautiful individuality of each child instead of they're trying to define them by groups and then as you said pit these groups against each other and this ultimately could destroy our country uh, Bill Fetter right so the Greek name for devil Diablo uh, is means to divide and so if you have one will in heaven there's peace but as soon as the devil wants to do his will you have a division so so the devil goes into the garden and divides it, gets Adam to blame Eve and gets Cain to kill Abel and then goes into Israel and gets, you know. Um, but this concept have, has been studied in Machiavelli. Um, his idea, you know, was to basically uh, the prince wants to conquer a city, the people would hate him. But if he pays criminals to create crisis and terror, the people will panic and beg the prince to come in and restore order. And so the tactic is you intentionally create division so that people will want your answer. And this is how the British took over India, for example. 1714, they landed in Bengal and opened a trading post that turned into a trading fort that turned into them having guns and funneling guns to one kingdom and then guns to another kingdom and then sowing division, discord, stirring up ancient animosities between the two kingdoms until they break, break out into warfare. And they bloody each other up and weaken each other, and then the British come in and conquer both. And they do this again and again and again until they took over all of India, a quarter of the world's population. And they tried doing this during the American Revolution, right? The settlers and the Indians had reached the status quo. The British come into the Indians and promise them money for scalps. And so they, it's even listed in our declaration that the king has incited uh, insurrection among us with the natives on the frontier. And um, so this uh, concept, Karl Marx turned it into an equation. He called it critical theory uh, or dialectics and it's a triangle one corner is a thesis the status quo the opposite corner is an antithesis and then the top corner is a synthesis it sounds complicated but it's not uh, you you start the status quo you create discord you create a problem that's real bad and then everybody cries out for an answer and they're willing to give up their freedoms to settle for an answer that's half as bad and then you create another crisis, and then people get some more of their freedoms, and they settle for an answer that's half as bad. And you keep doing that until you take all the rights away from the people concentrated in the government. So Karl Marx says, how do you create an antithesis? You have to send in agitators, agent provocateurs, community organizers, labor organizers. Their job is to do critical theory, divide the country into groups, subcategories, and then pit them against each other to sow division. Um, and then when everybody gets in fear and panic because of the random violence, they're willing to surrender their freedoms to settle for uh, an answer, but they have less rights than they did before. Boy, it sounds so, like sounds like uh, what's uh, happening some, here in America. Yeah, and, and so um, during the Cold War, this was perfected, and so you would have the KGB and the CIA going into countries and examining all the, the subgroups and then pitting, calling some victims, others oppressors, and then organizing protests and riots. And then when the violence got bad enough, um, then everybody says, government, come in and restore order. And that's when it flips from a bottom-up form of government to a top-down. And so you have to get the mindset of division. And so whether it's the proletariat versus the bourgeois, which is the working class against the business owners, or the religiously, you get the Sunni against the Shia, or the Muslims against the Christians, or the Catholics against the Protestants, or ethnically, Bosnians, Croats, Serbs. You, you want to get these groups, and, and you have to transition them away from the idea that everybody's equal made in the image of God. And you got to transition them into the idea of victims and oppressors, haves and have-nots. Um, and so this is what they're doing in school. This is a pre-violence period where we're wanting to condition the schools and the military and get them into this thinking. They did this, the Nazis did this, right? 
Jews and Germans, and they all got along and had businesses together. But then they had to separate them, and they made the Jews wear, you know, yellow bands on their arms, and the people wouldn't talk, shouldn't talk with them, and shouldn't. And then once they separated from them, then they could begin to call them terrible and horrible, and then mm-hmm. you know, have the terrible Holocaust. And so, so we're in this pre. Um, stage uh, and once they thoroughly uh, get the critical race theory implanted in these young people's minds that's when you're going to see this random violence take place and then you'll see the government say we'll restore order and we'll transition um, basically to a top-down former government um, a lot of the founders you know for Ben Franklin says I'm fearful that uh, the United States will someday end in a monarchy you know that power people will let the power reconcentrate a lot of people are recognizing what is happening and are stepping forward. I'm thrilled to see so many uh, everyday people step forward to run for office. And uh, America was founded by regular people, farmers and merchants and businessmen. And uh, I'm seeing many of these step forward to run for office. What's your thoughts about that, Bill Federer? Uh, yeah, local, local, local. Um, you know, uh, they, their tactic is to, to guilt trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ. They're saying, if you're really Christian, you'll tolerate this LGBT agenda being taught to little innocent children. Yet Jesus says, if you let one of these little ones that believes me to stumble, it's better than a millstone be put around your neck and you be thrown in the depths of the sea. And Jesus himself said in the beginning, God made them male and female. So if you're really Christian, you'll let them teach something that Jesus would never teach. So if you're really Christian, you want to act like Christ. Right? And, and so <clears throat> you drive by the school every day, and Jesus said, if you know they're teaching them something other than what I teach, uh, and you're silent, you're giving consent to that. And if you give consent to that, you're uh, co-guilty, and you'll share in the judgment and of these little kids stumbling. And so, um, so if every church can adopt every school within their vicinity and just say, look, let's pray for the school, let's run people for school board, let's empower the parents at the school board. If every church can take responsibility for the educating of the, the children in there that they drive by, uh, the higher races will take care of themselves. People will say, oh, well, that's how you run the race. I'm going to run for state rep next time. I'm going to do this. They'll do that with a pastor not having to lift a finger. If the pastor can just take responsibility for the children, the innocent children, and Jesus says, if you don't take responsibility and you know they're teaching us something other than what I teach, um, that's better than a millstone we put on your neck. So, so local, local, local is the answer. Bill, the other thing that I really think is we as community members uh, and, and grandparents and obviously parents, we need to demand uh transparency in the curriculum in what our kids are being taught. I think that that would go a long way as well. Uh, if people understood what was going on with curriculum, I think that that would be very important. So I'm, I'm really recommending when I talk to young parents, uh, say we need to start a movement to have transparency on curriculum. What's your thoughts about that, Bill Fetter? Yeah, so we've gone from teaching the, the heritage of America that includes Christian thought, and basically Judeo-Christian Western civilization emphasizes the individual, that you have a rights and worth as an individual, apart from any group. 
that's what Western civilization is built on. Every other civilization is an honor-shame culture, right? If you're part of the Ummah, the Muslim community, your worth goes up. If, if not, they'll murder their own, their own daughter if she embarrasses them in front of their community. And the Far East, honor-shame culture, right? It's, it's the class structure to society. India, what caste are you in? It's all what your, your worth is associated with some group. And so, um, anyway... Uh, we are seeing a transition away from you're made in the image of God and you have rights and values, not whether you contribute to society or not, but because you're made in the image of God. We're transitioning away from that to your rights are with this group, um, you know, your class, your structure, your color, your skin, and so forth. Um, and then once they do that, then they fit the groups against each other to, to cause this division. Well, it's, are you encouraged that as we're shining light on this, that more people are um, realizing what's going on and that we can protect this great American idea? Or, or what do you think about all this, Bill? Yeah, well, that's what happened in Virginia. Um, the governor said that all these mothers that go to school board meetings are terrorists and that you should not have a say in what your kids are being taught. Um, this is, uh, it stirred up so many parents in Virginia that they voted out those leftists and they put in uh, a really good guy named Yunkin. And, um, but this was the issue, everybody admits it. It was the parents that finally had enough of the government taking their kids away from them and indoctrinating them and telling, you know, that, that they can use different pronouns and names with the kids at school and they can groom these kids for sexual exploitation and, and even physical mutilation and hormones and, the, and not let the parents know about it. Oh, it's, it's um, unbelievable. And so anyway, so, so parents are beginning to wake up. Uh, I speak at homeschool conventions around the, the country. They're exploding in growth. Uh, Charlie Kirk has Turning Point academy that he's starting and they asked me to come and help with the curriculum and so forth oh awesome so it's um uh there's a movement in this area uh and again i think homeschooling has like doubled or tripled just within the last two years um and it's important you know kids want to know you know child is born first thing it wants to know is uh, I have a relationship with a mother who loves me, and they, they, they have this secure relationship. And then they uh, realize there's another guy in the house, the dad, and they say, okay, where, how, where's my relationship with this person? And then they realize there's siblings, and then where's my relationship with these siblings? How do I fit in? And then there's relationships with playmates, and then relationships with classmates, and then relationships with teammates. And, and then the team plays other teams, and they realize, gee, there's other schools. And, and the whole time, their world is getting bigger, and they always want to know, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? And at some point, they want to ask the question, where do I fit in with, with all of it? Like with all of humanity, like with all of history, like with every, where do I fit in? And when they're handed, uh, it was all an accident, evolution. You're, you have no purpose to your life. It's just all just random chance. No wonder these kids commit suicide. Yeah. But if you go to these kids and say, no, God has a really big plan, and he made you in his image, and he wants to love other people through you. And you can come up with ideas. You can help other people. You, can, you, you have a purpose in life. It's like, oh, I can be part of God's plan of loving people and helping people. Um, that's what is ultimately needs to be done. And that's why, you know, even um, the, the proverb says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like until you realize that there is a God that 
created you. He loves you. He has a plan for your your life so that you can experience his love, but then you can share that love with others. Um, you, you have to have the knowledge of God at, as the cornerstone. Otherwise, it's like there's no purpose to anything. There's no right. There's no wrong. I, and you don't even know if you're a boy or girl anymore. There's totally borderless and you shove these kids out on the street. It's like, okay, uh, today I feel like killing somebody. It's like, who can tell me that it's wrong? Right? I mean, they, would they tell you you can kill babies in the womb. What's, what's wrong with killing somebody? What's wrong with stealing somebody? We're, we're creating lawlessness intentionally. Why? Because when there's lawlessness, everybody will cry out for the government to come in and restore order, and that's when you transition to their globalist government. And that is why these elections are so important, and we are having uh, people that are running for office that want to protect this great American idea. That's why these elections are so important. We're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, I just want to mention one of our, our great new sponsors, and that is Christian Home Educators of Colorado, uh, chec.org, and um, you can go to that, chec.org slash start and get more information because people are reclaiming the education of their children as we are realizing what has been going on in these government-run schools. I'm talking with Bill Fetter. We'll be right back. Uh, I want to talk about about labor since we are uh, pre-recording this for Labor Day. Stay tuned. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. Are you concerned about the curriculum taught in government-run schools? Are you concerned about CRT and sexual indoctrination worldview agendas taught to your children in government-run schools? Are you concerned that your children are not receiving a quality education in the government-run public schools? Have you considered homeschooling but don't know where to start? Christian Home Educators of Colorado, or CHECK, has answers. You can homeschool. Go to CHECK.org start. Kim Munson highly recommends Christian Home Educators of Colorado. Reclaim your child's education by going to CHEC.org start today. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. With the professional training from Franktown Firearms, everyone can improve. The experts at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your confidence and ability so they can recommend exactly what's right for you. After you purchase your first or tenth firearm, Franktown will always encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, offering lessons for improvement with one-on-one classes and private training or even group classes, guiding you along your journey from beginner to expert. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. Franktown Firearms doesn't play by the corporate model. As a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly business, they give everyone the time they deserve. They emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills 
as they are in training with you. Sign up for any of their group or personalized courses today at klzradio.com forward slash Franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good uh, good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, and we have pre-recorded this uh, show for Labor Day and just thrilled to have uh, my guest, Bill Fetter, the founder of... Uh, the American Minute. He's uh, written many different books, uh, but you can find him at AmericanMinute.com, and he's on many different uh, outlets throughout the country. It's Labor Day, Bill Federer, and we're talking about this kind of this attack on uh, Western culture, the American idea, the value of the individual. I think that there's also been an attack on labor, industriousness, people working hard, putting in extra hours or extra effort to become successes, to create more value in what what they do so that they ultimately can create wealth for themselves and their families. But I think there's been this assault on labor. What's your thoughts, Bill? Yeah, well, uh, one of my posts uh, is on uh, Labor Day. And so at the founding of America, most people were farmers and uh, butchers and carpenters and cabinet makers and upholsterers. These were the jobs. But then you had uh, coal mines in England. They were filling up with water, and they were trying to figure out ways to pump the water out. And somebody came up with the idea of a pump. His name was James Watt, and it was a steam pump. And this harnessed steam. And so soon you had steam engines and steam boats and then factories with textile manufacturing, the sewing machines and so forth. And so now you could produce mass uh, things, uh, bolts of cloth. And, uh, and so this started what's called the Industrial Revolution. And so you had workers in these factories. Now, another little thing fits into this is taxes. So originally in America, there was no income tax. The federal government was supported by tariff taxes, which was taxes on imports mostly. And so we would tax these textiles coming in from Europe and uh, to make them more expensive. Why? So that we can start our own factories here in America. Now, uh, the North had the factories. The South was still agricultural. And so the North loved the tariffs, make that European stuff more expensive. But the South they were having to buy more expensive stuff from Europe because of these tariffs or the more expensive stuff from these new American factories. And so prior to the Civil War, at one point, 90 percent of the federal government was paid for by collecting tariff taxes at southern ports. And so a lot of these southern ports says, why do we have to pay these taxes? Let's just buy this stuff cheaper from Europe. And anyway, so that was what was one of the ingredients that sparked the, uh, the war. After the Civil War, the South was more or less out of the picture uh, politically for a while. And the North passed lots and lots of tariffs and this kept the foreign goods more expensive. Factories in America exploded in growth. And so in the late half of the 1800s, we were producing glass and dishes and farm tools and iron for bridges and railroads and skyscrapers and mining machinery. And um, I mean, just we had the fastest increase in the standard of living in world history. And a lot of immigrants came to America and worked these jobs. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, 
they would work jobs, save money, send their kids to college, uh, and their kids, in two or three generations, they would own the factories. And there was this economic ladder. Um, there was no minimum wage, so you could pay anybody that comes in at the port any amount of money, maybe not much. But they were learning a job and learning a skill and learning how to run a business. And before long, they would pool their money and start their own factory or, or business. And so uh, each new wave of immigrants was pushing the previous ones up the economic ladder. And um, and this hard work uh, was a European concept that basically went back to the Christians, to the Protestants, to the Moravians, who were the Moravians. Uh, in the 1700s, they were a small group in Germany that would send their missionaries around the world. But they were unique. And there was no church sponsorship for their missionary efforts. There was no denomination. They didn't go to seminary. It was just them saying, I'm going to go to Egypt, Suriname, Georgia, and, and work really hard to support myself so that I can spread the gospel on the side. This actually got termed um, the Protestant work ethic. And so you would have, in the early 1900s, these rags-to-riches stories. These immigrants would come to America and didn't have two nickels, uh, and yet they would work hard. And uh, Horatio Algiers uh, wrote a whole series of rags-to-riches books. Um, you know, a strong and steady, uh, or paddle your own canoe, and shifting for himself, Gilbert Grayson's force, and a ragged dick. And these were stories that talked about immigrants coming over with nothing, working hard, and becoming successful. That was sort of the mindset. And, um, and so you uh, would see, uh, but along with this, you had Europe. And for the longest time, they were a class structure of the rich ruling class and then the poor peasants. There was no middle class. There was no upward mobility. And so this was the seedbed for Marxism and these uh, French revolutions and these socialist takeovers, like get rid of that rich class. Well, a lot of these immigrants came to America and didn't realize that the rich class in America were, were the previous generation of, of poor people that worked hard. And they brought that mindset of, well, anybody that's got money is bad. And so this was the seedbed for the Marxism taking root. And so uh, it was after the um, Civil War, you had the first push for an income tax. And it was voted down, but finally Woodrow Wilson pushed through the income tax. It was a 1% tax on the top 1% richest people. The rich people didn't want to pay the tax, and so they began to meet uh, and support politicians. Uh, to, um, and so you began to have them wanting to get involved in politics now. In the middle of all this, you have a railroad strike, the Pullman Railroad Car Company, uh, and they made all these railroad cars, and they had a nice factory off near Chicago, and they had built houses for the workers to work in, shops for the workers to shop in. They would pay the workers with company script that they could use in the store. It was a nice little sort of utopian village, but then orders for railroad cars dropped, and they couldn't pay the workers. And so a guy named Eugene Debs comes over, and he does critical theory. <laughs> he finds these workers with grievances uh, that weren't paid what they were before because the orders for railroad cars dropped, and he organizes them to riot. And they destroy $80 million worth of railroad cars, spreads to 27 states. The whole country is paralyzed because everything's shipped on railroads, and railroads are not running. And so you have the president is Grover Cleveland, and he wants to appease the workers and so he's the one who pushes through Labor Day. <laughs> um, now, in the middle of all this, you had Eugene Debs. Uh, Bernie Sanders had his picture on the wall. He's the organizer of the railroad workers to do all the striking and violence. And uh, they have um, in Chicago, uh, one of the factories, it was the um, McCormick Railroad um, uh, Farm Machinery Factory. 
and near it was the hay market. And so you had um, uh, a riot there, and pipe bombs went off and killed police officers. Uh, matter of fact, they had a statue to the fallen officers, and it was in the 1970s that the Weather Underground blew up the statue, and then they began to organize rioting again. And who was the leader of it was Bill Ayers. And Bill Ayers was the one who um, uh, brought Barack Obama into politics. And then uh, some of the other, Mark Rudd and some of the other Weather Underground are the ones that trained uh, Patrice Cullors and uh, um, the, the different founders of, uh, of Black Lives Matter. But um, anyway, so Chicago, Rail Org Car Company, Eugene Debs uh, organized this strike. Uh, it was Grover Cleveland that uh, sends in 12,000 U.S. Army troops to break up the strike to get these railroad cars running again. Eugene Debs is put in jail, and that's when he really studies Karl Marx, Das Kapital, and Eugene Debs then starts the Socialist Party of America. Mm. And he runs for president five times, um, and uh, then splitting off, one time he ran from prison, but splitting off from the Socialist Party of America is the Communist Party USA. And, um, but... Uh, they, um, Grover Cleveland, had the, the first Labor Day. Uh, he is also the one who uh, dedicated the Statue of Liberty to welcome the immigrants that were coming over. And um, so you had um, uh, all kinds of uh, political repercussions of this. Um, a, a lot of one of the people that supported Eugene Debs was Roger Baldwin. He was a draft dodger during the Vietnam, uh, excuse me, the World War One. Roger Baldwin, and he started the um, ACLU, and uh, he said, "I'm for socialism. I seek social ownership of property, the abolition of the property class, sole control of those those produce wealth. Communism is the goal." And so all of them had this, you know, nice utopian idea that if we could just get rid of the ruling class and everybody own everything equally, how wonderful will it be? The only problem is every time this is attempted. The people in the government that are handing out all this common stuff are always tempted to funnel a little extra to their family and friends on the side. Right? Imagine that. This recently with, with Pelosi wanting to do some deals with chip companies that her husband owns stock in, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. insider trading stuff. And, um, and so, so every attempt at everybody owning everything equally always ends up with a deep state bureaucracy passing out favors to their friends with mm-hmm. the most corrupt person at the top. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, Socialism sounds good in theory. People say, well, wasn't the early church socialist? No, the early church was the early church. Socialism is counterfeit early church. And the differences between the word voluntary and involuntary. Mm. The early believers voluntarily sold their property, laid the money at the feet of the church. They didn't have the government take away their property and lay the money at the feet of Pilate. And um, so then these um, socialists uh, began to have their May Day riots in 1919. So they would have their annual parade that would turn into a riot like we saw in uh, all these 66 different cities in Portland and Seattle and Columbus and so forth. And they would do these these May Day riots and they wanted to have joined the Socialist Bolshevik Revolution uh, Communist Workers Party, which had May 1st as the International Workers Rioting Day. And um, uh, that's when Grover Cleveland says, okay, we're going to have a day for the workers to have off, but we're not going to go with the May 1st, May Day riot days. We're going to do September, first Monday in September. And so that's where that came from. 
fascinating. Yeah. I did not. Go, I, I know we've talked a little bit about that. I never totally understood that. So, Bill Fetter, let's go to break. I'm talking with Bill Fetter. Uh, he is the founder of the American Minute. You can find it at AmericanMinute.com. He's written a number of very important books, and uh, you can see those uh, there as well. Uh, but before we go to break, a uh, nonprofit that I have adopted is the USMC Memorial Foundation. Uh, they are raising money for the Marine Memorial out at Sixth and Colfax. Uh, they're going to remodel it. It was dedicated in 1977, so it's time for a remodel. And you can help Paula Sarles and her whole team. And Paula Sarles is a Vietnam-era Marine veteran and a Gold Star wife. And uh, they are raising money to remodel that. You can help them at USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We'll be right back with Bill Fetter. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on and who is responsible. That is why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. She has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim could use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And gosh, that makes me, Bill Fetter and I were talking in between uh, segments here about labor. And you'd mentioned labor unions. And I'm just thinking labor unions actually have used a lot of force for people to belong to them. So let, let, let's take, uh, you said Grover Cleveland said we're going to have a Labor Day to appease um, this unrest that had been occurring on, on May Day. And uh, labor unions came out of that, correct, Bill? Right. And they, uh, so, so there's always a good and a bad side to everything. Uh, there, this was the beginning of better working conditions. Um, you did have uh, these factories with um, conditions that were not safe. And uh, so there was pressure to put on them to improve those. This is uh, where you get the eight hour work day and the 40 hour work week. And, um, safer conditions, more benefits. Uh, and because of this, Henry Ford um, wanted to uh, 
he didn't like these unions unionizing his factories. And so what did he do? There's a story that he met a Yemeni sailor at a port and told him about the auto industry jobs and that he would pay $5 a day. And so this Yemeni sailor told all of his Yemeni friends, and this began a chain migration of Muslims to Detroit. And over the years, uh, the first, you know, several waves, they were happy to be there and happy to work their jobs, and they weren't uh, joining the unions. And um, But uh, the second and third generation are now being radicalized uh, to a certain extent. And um, uh, so we're beginning to see that. But so, so the beginning of the Islamic uh, immigration to the Dearborn, Michigan area began with Henry Ford trying to get around these unions who were um, uh, wanting to unionize and so forth. Uh, but something else happened, outsourcing. So as the uh, cost of labor was increasing, and uh, then you had uh, Woodrow Wilson pushing through the first income tax, and these wealthy individuals wanted to get around the income tax, and so um, they created tax-free foundations, Ford Foundation, Carnegie Foundation. Um, and then you had expensive lawsuits and then you had burdensome regulations and then environmental restrictions um, and then crony capitalism, where if you're uh, a business and you're supporting a particular political party, you get favored treatment and maybe government contracts. And if you're not contributing to that particular political party, uh, you're shut out of government bidding and contracting. And you're you're subject to IRS audits and you're subject to uh, more of these climate change crackdowns. And so what happens? It's called outsourcing. And so these, especially after World War II, when we rebuilt Germany and Japan with the Marshall Plan and brand new equipment, um, and then they would just lobby to lower the tariffs to bring the goods back into America cheaper. And you could now sell something cheaper in other countries where you didn't have the higher wages or higher taxes or expensive lawsuits or burdens of regulations or environmental restrictions. You could make it real cheap and bring it back in here and sell it cheaper than all the businesses in America that were complying with all this. And so the businesses are in business to, to be in business. And so they're like, hey, let's move overseas too. And so you began to see this flood of businesses go to China and India and all around the world and then lobby to lower the tariffs to bring all their stuff in real cheap, undercutting American jobs. And um, so uh, this created something called globalists. So the businesses that were in America, they were still patriotic to America. But once they moved their factories overseas, they're like, you know what? We're sort of patriotic to our bottom line. And if we can work together with communist countries, with, you know, all these other different countries that don't treat their people right, but we can make a bigger bottom line, fine. And so now we have this whole class of globalists that they don't – they want a borderless society. They want to be able to uh, – they're, they're loyal to themselves. And um, the problem is, is um, yeah, you can move your factories overseas, but what if you move so much overseas that you're not dependent and these other countries can say, you know what, we're going to hold back uh, making chips. Uh, we're going to hold back uh, the, the you know, rare earth metals that you make batteries out of. We're going to hold back on this stuff. And it, and it cripples, and it, uh, it economically can cripple uh, our country. And so, um, so that's the dilemma. You've got these globalists now wanting to do a great reset where they're intentionally wanting to have uh, an infrastructure fail globally 
uh, to create all these shortages so everybody will what? They'll go to the government and say, help. Mm. The government say, okay, we're glad you asked. We're here to help. Um, we're going to go ahead and give you welfare, and, and you're going to get dependent on this welfare. And then we're going to tell you if you want to continue to get this welfare, you're going to have to incrementally give up your freedoms and register your guns. And then we're wanting to take a red flag you and then take away your guns and then take away your freedom of speech so that if you say something that's uh, not woke enough, we're going to put an ESG score together with, with and we're going to track all your purchases and your Google searches and we're going to create a, a profile on you. And if you're not woke enough, your, your money's not going to work. And, and so it's, it's this globalist goal. Um, anyway. So we got in a long way from the Labor Day. So you always have good and bad. Um, it's sort of like a chess game, right? Um, you know, and so you uh, have good that workers are treated better. But as a result, it caused business to become more expensive. And so the business moves overseas. And then you create these globalists that are not loyal to America. Um, what's the answer? Well, a real simple answer, it was to make it more profitable to move their factory back to America, <laughs> right? What um, uh, Money flows like water, uh, and water seeks its own level. Um, and so if you can make it so it's more profitable to have your factory here than there, guess what? All the factories will move back. So that means we have to you know, have some common sense restrictions on these lawsuits, uh, on re- relief. Every regulation that the government places, they need to offset it with a tax credit. Okay, if, if we're going to make it so your pollution out of your smokestack is, is less, um, we're going to reduce your taxes so that you can invest in this because China can spew all the stuff they want into the climate, and they don't have to comply with anything. That's one of the, the, the fallbacks of all this climate change stuff that's being uh, signed into law is China and India get a pass. They can spew as much stuff as they want into the atmosphere, and they can use slave labor, uh, and, and they ship it to America, and we buy it. Um, if, if we're going to do a climate change anything, it has to be global. It can't just be America. That's one of the – but we have to make it more profitable for the factories to move back and, um, and then also get rid of this crony capitalism. Right, and cronyism. So lower taxes, lower rules, lower regulations. They've made labor so expensive. You see all these payroll taxes and and, uh, different kinds of things out here in Colorado. Um, The legislature and also the voters have voted in things that make labor more expensive. And if you make it more expensive, you're going to get less of it. And uh, so we need to be looking to ourselves, to the individuals, for the answers, not government. Um, question. Yeah, no, I do want to throw in. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I just want to throw in. There's a difference between local capitalism and global capitalism. So people say, well, capitalism is bad, communism is good. Actually, local capitalism is good. That means that you get to create a product or a service and sell it to somebody that wants it. And they'll pay you what they think it's worth. And it's just you and the other person. You don't need a third-party government to come in and say, oh, we're going to take a little piece of it. On a local level, it's good. On a global level, globalists and global capitalists and communists are the same. So you have these globalist capitalists that are happy to work with communist countries. All right. Uh, and so so when people criticize capitalism, they have to specify they're crit- criticizing globalist capitalism. Right. So so when so most of these tax bills that are pushed through, they go after the middle, the middle guy, the, the 
the, the moderately rich. They don't go after the Bill Gates, the George Soros, the Warren Buffetts, the, you know, Larry Finks with BlackRock. I mean, they don't go after them. They just go after the, the, the sort of rich. Why? Because socialism is a two-tiered system of a ruling class and a ruled class. You always have to get rid of the middle class. And we and, we saw that even in COVID out here in Colorado, well, like throughout the country, we had PBIs saying that there are some businesses that are essential, which was the big guys, and then non-essential was the everyday, the the restaurant owner and you know the dry cleaner and all these great little businesses where people provide a product and are working to create wealth. This big broad middle class. There's this assault on that. We've got a couple of minutes left, Bill Fetter. This always goes way too quickly. How would you like to button this up for Labor Day? Yeah, well, the uh, great quote from uh, Ronald Reagan, where he talks about, uh, you know, devising a system of, uh, you know, government. But he says it's, it's wrong for the, the government to devise a system that punishes people for being creative and hardworking. And, um, and so the, the hand of the diligent bears rule. Um, there's a great um, person of the last century named Booker T. Washington, and um, uh, he, uh, here's Reagan's quote in 1988, I believe God did give mankind unlimited gifts to invest, invent, produce, and create. Booker T. Washington, he was a slave. He's free after the war. Um, he founds Tuskegee Institute, and uh, Booker T. Washington started the National Negro Business League. This is 10 years before the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has started. And he says the answer to the race problem is we have to get successful <laughs> and follow the, the plan of every wave of immigrants that comes to America. They're, every wave of immigrants is hated, they're discriminated against, but they work hard, pool their money, send their kids to school, learn the business, they gradually move up the economic ladder until they have the money and then everybody respects them. And so he says, we have to do this. Uh, Booker T. Washington says, anyone can seek a job, but it requires a person of rare ability to create a job. Mm. What we should be doing in our schools is to turn out more, fewer job seekers and more job creators. And um, so it's one thing. So, oh, we got jobs, jobs, jobs. Well, let's think of big, bigger. Let's, let's create a business that can create jobs. Um, Booker T. Washington, uh, it was Teddy Roosevelt, the Republican president that had Booker T. in the White House for dinner, the first black man as a guest for dinner in the White House. Um, but Booker T. Washington says, I want you to own land. I, I want you to be successful. Um, and uh, so the, we have to remember the class struggle didn't work in America like it worked in Europe because we had too much upward mobility. So now they're moving the class struggle to a race struggle. They're wanting to, they, they, have, they can't use the critical race theory economically, so they have to create other groups that they can pit against each other. And um, so we need to be aware of that. Um, but the, the bottom line is that the Bible says that, um, you know, one talent, two talents, five talents, they worked hard and multiplied it. God blesses us and um, uh, with things, and uh, then you can be voluntarily moved upon to give away some of your things. And the Bible calls that charity. Okay. So God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Absolutely. Bill Fetter, thank you so much. We're out of time. This is Bill Fetter at AmericanMinute.com. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. And so, my friends, today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, 
And like Superman stand for truth, justice, and the American way, my friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas mistruths or misconceptions and it is getting us into a world of hurt is it freedom or is it force let's have a conversation indeed and welcome to the kim munson show be sure and check out our website that is kim munson m-o-n-s-o-n.com sign up for our weekly newsletter there and you can email me at kim at kim as well thank you to all of you who join us we're an independent voice we search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force force versus freedom if something's a good idea you shouldn't have to force people to do it and i so appreciate you all joining us you're each treasured you're valued you have purpose today strive for excellence take care of your heart your soul your mind and your body we are doing something very special today for labor day this is a pre-record and i'm thrilled to have on the line with me scott s powell he is a senior fellow at the discovery institute and he's written a really great book rediscovering america how the national holidays tell an amazing story about who we are and before we get into all of this i i always i wanted to get to a quote for today and this may also be part of a, a subject that we'll talk about a little bit later regarding Regarding, uh, and we had you on recently about your piece, uh, World War III, this whole psyops attack on on uh, on Americans, and then what we can do about it. So I went to a um, an Abraham Lincoln quote, and he said, "We the people are the are the rightful uh, masters." of both Congress and the Constitution, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. What's your thoughts on that, Scott Powell? Oh, I think that's, um, he was so prescient in saying that, because we are, that, that's where we stand today. You know, when, <clears throat> I, I sympathize with, um, you know, with people who mistake um, the people in government for the government. In other words, they their anti-Americanism is partially driven by their disdain for the way the government is being run. And so they turn against uh, the country, uh, or some do, uh, because of that. But really, when we, when we really understand our heritage and our Constitution, there simply is no other system in the world that protects the rights of the people and empowers people to be all that they can be to pursue their dreams, to be creative, to, you know, push the frontier of, uh, of excellence and innovation more than, than what we find in America. America is an amazing country, because, largely because we limited the power of government and we empowered the people. And a lot of people just take that for granted. They don't understand it. And uh, they, they look at the corruption in our government, and, and they don't like it, and they, it, it turns them against politics, and they look for an alternative. And young people tend to be drawn to the woke alternative, which is an absolute disaster for their future. Well, and I think for this, this is a, a, a good segue then into your book. 
uh, Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are. It is a very important book, and um, I, I had my first experience with audiobooks because I was on this road trip, and uh, just about have it finished, not quite. Uh, but each of these stories about each of these holidays is so important, and I was thinking we could just highlight you know, one of those chapters. Which chapter would you like to highlight this Labor Day? Oh, oh boy. <clears throat> well, I, I think that... I think that the July 4th chapter is probably the one to highlight. Uh, and I say that um, also recognizing that every chapter is, you know, is, uh, is, important, is, is unique and tells a unique, uh, a unique part of our heritage. But July 4th and Washington and the Founding Fathers really are, you know, it. America was born out of this great period, and so I think that's the chapter to focus on. Okay. And I always find this so interesting, uh, Scott, because I do these different quotes, and then I've also taken some classes. But it is just kind of divine coincidence that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams died on the same day, 50 years after the Declaration of Independence, so July 4, 1826. I, I just, every time I think about that, I'm just like, that is so remarkable. What, what do you think about that? I fully agree with you. And just in case people thought that that's, uh, you know, that that was possible, statistically probably very improbable, but just in case they thought, well, it's, it's a coincidence. Uh, we're reminded a few, some years later with, uh, James Monroe, our fifth president, also dying on July 4th. I know. <laughs> I know. So we have three out of our first five presidents all dying on the birthday of the nation, July 4th. It's, it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's like, you know, God wants to make it so clear to us that we're special people, that we have a special heritage and a special founding that that he would that he would orchestrate this for us. And and I just want to um, mention that when God wants us to know that we are a special people, the other thing about America is people can come to America and become Americans. And so it's not just the people that were born here, but people can come here to become Americans if if they're up for this this whole idea of America that. Uh, we are created in the image of God, and because of that, we have these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That is open to everyone. Uh, and I don't know of any other country. I could move to India, or I could move to France, and I won't become a, a Frenchman, Frenchman or a French woman or an Indian. But in America, you can come here and become an American. Isn't that remarkable? It, it really is. You know, there were times in human history when there were nation states of cultural achievement, virtue, and efflorescence. And you think of um, Periclean Athens, uh, the Florence of the Medicis, uh, and England of Elizabeth and Shakespeare. But none of those great countries, those, those culturally great countries, were founded the way America was. The United States really is the only country in the entire history of mankind that was specifically founded on ideas and principles rather than on blood lineage, language, common culture, the spoils of war and conquest. And, the, and those founding ideas of America, that all people are created equal in value, 
and that they have unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know, they remain as powerful and true today as they ever have. And if Americans can reconnect with this, uh, we can change our future because we are in charge. Uh, and, and when we're threatened by enemies, we, can, we have the courage to stand up to them, to call them out, and to push back. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's what really we're called to do now. Well, and going back to Lincoln's quote regarding that we are to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution, I really do think that we have people uh, that are, and I call them PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, that are perverting the Constitution. But I feel that there is this awakening that is occurring uh, here in America. With we, we are seeing regular, everyday people uh, run for office. And uh, America was founded on with farmers and merchants and, you know, candle makers and butchers and and everyday people was who really founded this country and i see everyday people stepping forward to uh, work to run for office and protect it uh, scott powell yeah i do too it's it's, it's really we're we're really in a in a political renaissance period in our country it's overdue but uh you know we're, we're seeing it right before our very eyes so it's it, it, we're living in in very very exciting times. I really feel that in spite of all of the dark clouds, you know, you looked at the cover of my book and you could see on the on the left side of Lady Liberty, <clears throat> the Statue of Liberty, are all these dark, ominous, stormy clouds. And on the right side of Lady Liberty is a, it goes off the cover of the book, it's on the back side. It, it, it's the rising sun. It's the light coming up. And we really stand in between these two now, between the light and the darkness. And that's why I wrote the book, because we've got to come back into the light. We've got to stop the darkness from encroaching on our lives. No one would disagree, I don't think, that that is of, of uh, of my generation, I probably have a few years on you, Kim, that life was so much better, it was simpler, people were happier, uh, they, they felt more peace and, and confidence about their future uh, when we go back 40 and 50 years ago. You know, when people, uh, but uh, every, everything's changed so much, and you could, you could really attribute it to our de- departing from God. Uh, you know, we drove God out of the public square. We removed God uh, when we banned prayer in school, uh, when we legalized abortion in the 1970s. We, you know, we degraded the value of life. Um, and, and we're leaving that legacy out. And, and most of our problems today are a direct result of that. And these problems can, can be solved if we can restore, uh, you know, a, a, a worldview uh, that, that is really more oriented around the way God created us. Totally. We're created for a purpose, and when we live, when we, when we live, uh, according to that purpose, with those guidelines uh, in place, everybody's familiar with sports. There's, we know we have rules of the road in driving, right? If you if you don't follow the rules of the road on uh, you know driving, you get into an accident. Well, guess what? We're designed as people to have rules of the road, and it isn't that it's oppressive and restricting as much as it is protecting us uh, and empowering us to be creative and do all the things that that God would have us do. We are made in his image and likeness. So we are creators, just as he was. Ah, 
I, I love that. Uh, and th- that's so appropriate for Labor Day, creators, in, uh, innovators. Uh, and that is the American idea. I'm talking with Scott P. Powell, and he has written this important book, Re- Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are. We're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, uh, the show comes to you because of great sponsors. And uh, one of those sponsors is Hooters Restaurants, and they have five locations. That's Loveland, Aurora, Lone Tree, Westminster, and Colorado Springs. And they're sponsors of the show and also America's Veterans Stories. Uh, have been longtime sponsors of the show. And how I got to know them, it's a, a really interesting story about freedom and capitalism and free markets. And so you can go to my website, KimMunson.com, and find out about that. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Scott Powell. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Monson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for a weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice as we search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. On the line with me is Scott P. Powell. He's a senior fellow at the uh, Discovery Institute, and he's written a really important book. And it, uh, I had the, uh, well, I had the title here just a minute ago. What is the title of that book? I, it's disappeared for me. It is Rediscovering America. And it's how the national holidays tell an amazing story about who we are. So let's talk about the, uh, our Independence Day, 4th of July. Why is that an important holiday? Well, it's an important holiday in so many different ways. Um, you know, in the book, I tell the background of leading up to the you know, War of Independence, how, uh, but, but for now, because we have limited time, I, I think a big question should be, we need to address a very big question, that is, how could these independent, 13 independent colonies that had no real means of communicating with each other because of the age in which uh, we're talking about, there was no, you know, not even a telegraph, let alone telephone or internet, none of that. Um, and each colony was quite different, um, and, and there was no national mail system. So uh, courier system was irregular. So there was really no way for these colonies uh, to, to cooperate together to take on uh, Great Britain, which was then, you know, the greatest military power in the world. You know, it, it was just an unfathomable challenge to consider a military revolution against Great Britain. I mean, just to put it in perspective, you, you know, the uh, the American Navy consisted of seven ships 
that were merchant ships that had been converted converted into warships. The British had 270 ships in our waters <laughs> deployed on the coast of America. Um, their army was twice the size of the colonial army, which became the Continental Army. And uh, But our forces were volunteer. They were untrained. They were underfunded, uh, under-equipped. And um, how would they prevail against the greatest military uh, power in the world, the, 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 the best trained, best equipped forces in the world that outnumber them by, by a twofold? It was... But, you know, impossible, and yet, and yet we did. So there's some stories that I might share to describe all that, and these, and these tell us of how we need to be, how we can overcome impossible odds. <clears throat> and they really revolve around George Washington. Okay. Uh, tell us more about George Washington. Well, I'll start off by telling, uh, describing uh, George's earlier life. When he was 23 years old, uh, First of all, Washington had a military calling. He, he he loved horses. Horses were, you know, were part of the military tradition in those days. He was drawn to a military career. And when he was 23, he was serving under General Braddock. Uh, this is 1755. This is a full 20 years before the, the you know the Revolutionary War, where we had uh, reasonably good relations uh, with our you know with Great Britain. And, he, and Washington was serving under General Braddock. He was the junior most officer in a in a um, brigade of, uh, or I should say, a battalion of troops of about 1,400. And this was during the French and Indian War. And the British were going to recapture a French fort in Pittsburgh, Fort Duquesne. So they were marching in that direction, uh, and they were passing through the valley of the Monongahela when they were ambushed. It was a perfect ambush spot. It was an open field. There were trees on both sides where the Indians, the French and the Indians, it was the Indians really that did most of the, uh, the battle there. Uh, and they were sharpshooters. These Indians were trained to shoot rifles. Uh, and, and the great Sockham, the chief said, you wanna kill, you wanna shoot all the people on horseback because those are the officers. So. One by one, all those officers went down, <clears throat> and of course, there was no way really to fight them. They were they were you know behind trees and so forth. So it was a massacre, and uh, and and uh, all the officers were finally you know killed or off their horses. And Washington, the youngest officer, now was the senior most officer, and you know and. Of course, they were firing at Washington. He was a big target. He was a big man, tall guy, but they, they couldn't take him down. They shot out two horses out from under George Washington. So he was on his third horse. I mean, he just grabbed another horse, and he was organizing the retreat at this point because they'd lost about half the men out of their the battalion of, of 1,400. That night, Washington is taking off his uh, you know his coat, his military uniform coat, and he finds four bullet holes through his coat, four separate bullet holes, but he had not a scratch in his body. He attributed that to God's protection, and I think uh, I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's impossible that you'd have four bullet holes and not, and, and not even if even if you had a, a grazing, you'd have a you know a skin wound. But he had not, no wounds whatsoever. 
he attributed to God, and, he, and we know that's true because he wrote a letter to his brother. That letter has been saved. It's a matter of, of, of a historical document where he attributed it to God. So this gave Washington a very uh, different disposition than most other people. He knew he was protected by God, and he knew that protection was going to stay with him. And so when he was chosen to be the commander-in-chief, in 1776, they, they picked the right guy. I mean, God raised him up for this purpose. Uh, and and um, so even though he was, his troops were never enough and they were underfunded, under-equipped, he nonetheless was such an incredibly courageous leader that he had the respect of his troops and, and they would, uh, you know, they would follow him anywhere. And uh, one example of, of his leadership was, in, was after the victory in the, in, at, at Trenton. He then turned, he, through, through an intelligence, a spy, he learned that the British, uh, there's a British uh, group, uh, a large number of British in Princeton. And he immediately, you know, whereas they just had a victory, everybody wanted to probably relax. He said, no, we've got to, we've got to take them on in Princeton. So he used deception to keep people thinking that he was still encamped in Britain, leaving fires burning, and they, and they, and they uh, went uh, to Princeton, where they engaged the British. And as always, Washington was leading right from the front, bullets whizzing around him, and uh, his troops were inspired to fight even harder, and even the townspeople in Princeton, who ob- were observing this, they were so... Uh, you know, amazed and impressed and inspired by by Washington's courage, that they they went and grabbed their guns and joined in the battle. Wow. And so together they made short you know they made short work of the British. They they had their second victory then. That was a kind of a turning point in in the Revolutionary War because the, in the first battles Washington was losing, uh, and uh, and it was at that point uh, that the that the government uh, of, the, of America, under the Articles of Confederation uh, in Philadelphia, decided to release the Declaration of Independence with all the signatures on it. You know, mm-hmm. the first declaration, which was released on July 4th, had only two signatures on it because they didn't want to, to communicate to the British who all these traitors were because they were signing their death warrant when they signed the Declaration of Independence, and there were 56 signers. So they kept those identities under wraps until they hoped that the war was turning in favor of the patriots. And then the declaration went out to all all the colonies and so forth. So um, those are some of the amazing stories uh, that really we that that can inspire us and, and give us perspective on how we can approach insurmountable odds with courage and with amazing persistence, because even after that battle, there were still four more years in the War of Independence. Four long years were ahead of Washington and his troops, and they really had very few victories after um, after Princeton. They were losing almost every battle until the very end, uh, when they, with the, French, with the help of the French uh, and, and a good battle plan, they defeated the British at Yorktown, and that, uh, and, and at that point, the British decided that they just couldn't beat these these patriots. They they never gave up. 
and they never gave up because of George Washington. He was not only a courageous man, but he was a persister. Uh, and that's what we need in our lives, and especially in these times. We need courage, uh, but we also need to have a kind of endurance, resilience, that even after defeat we get up and we persist in our cause. We never give up. Uh, and, and that, you know, it worked for George Washington because that was an impossible. It was impossible for Washington, Washington uh, to, to have led uh, the colonies to victory, but he did. It's, a, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. I would, I suppose, liken it to Vietnam, where we we won most of the battles in Vietnam, but it went on so long that in the end, we said, you know, we we're, we can't, we, we've had enough. We, we can't, pursuing this isn't isn't going to lead to a final victory. And I think the British felt that way and, and decided that it was time to surrender. And, and they did. They, they surrendered. There was a peace treaty two years later, the, the Treaty of Paris. And that was really the beginning of our country. Now, we didn't have a constitution then. So that's in the following, that's in a later chapter in the book. But that first year is what I describe in uh, the 4th of July chapter. Well, it is just a fascinating uh, story, fascinating book. And before we go to break, uh, the the story then of the Indian chief years later regarding George Washington, can you share that with us? Yes, thanks for reminding me of that because it's an important part of the story. This Indian chief, you know, the Indians were very spiritual people. they really did believe, uh, they were all very theistic. They believed in, a, in the great spirit. Uh, and when they couldn't kill Washington, after training their rifles on him, multiple warriors were aiming their rifles. They'd, they'd taken down all the other generals. Why couldn't they take down this guy? They couldn't. And, and the chief, the great Sockham, he knew that there, that this that this man was protected by the great spirit he was under the protection of god and he he uh about it was about i think 12 or 14 years later that he he'd heard more about washington and he wanted to meet the man uh because he felt very strongly that he had god's protection that something great was going to come from washington that a great empire would be built from george washington this man they couldn't kill and he, he did finally track down Washington and, and got an audience with him, wherein he recounted, you know, he paid homage uh, to George Washington. And um, again, that's just great testimony uh, to, you know, this prescient view of this man uh, that would, in fact, be the key founding father that made, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the independence and the formation of the country possible. You know, George Washington was the president at the Constitutional Convention. He oversaw the whole proceedings. Uh, he didn't. He didn't speak too much, but his authority, his presence there, re- really enabled that convention to work through all the issues and 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 get a constitution drafted in four months. It's just it's it's incredible uh, that the Constitution was crafted by all these different people who came from 13 different states, uh, actually 12, because Rhode Island cho- chose not, not to go to the, uh, to the, to the uh, Constitutional Convention, <clears throat> although they got involved in the ratification process. It is fascinating, and I'm talking with Scott P. Powell. Uh, his book, Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story 
about who we are is a great book. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, so we're going to go to break. When we come back, he's had two very important essays regarding are we in World War III and what can we do about that. So let's, uh, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Scott Powell. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Are you concerned about the curriculum taught in government-run schools? Are you concerned about CRT and sexual indoctrination worldview agendas taught to your children in government-run schools? Are you concerned that your children are not receiving a quality education in the government-run public schools? Have you considered homeschooling but don't know where to start? Christian Home Educators of Colorado, or CHECK, has answers. You can homeschool. Go to check.org start. Kim Munson highly recommends Christian Home Educators of Colorado. Reclaim your child's education by going to chec.org slash start today. No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on and who is responsible. That is why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. She has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim could use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. With the professional training from Franktown Firearms, everyone can improve. The experts at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your confidence and ability so they can recommend exactly what's right for you. After you purchase your first or tenth firearm, Franktown will always encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, offering lessons for improvement with one-on-one classes and private training or even group classes, guiding you along your journey from beginner to expert. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. Franktown Firearms doesn't play by the corporate model. As a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly business, they give everyone the time they deserve. They emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills as they are in training with you. Sign up for any of their group or personalized courses today at klzradio.com forward slash Franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made.
And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. It is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. I have on the line with me Scott P. Powell. He's a senior fellow at the Disco- uh, Discovery Institute. Uh, his latest book, Re- Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are, is an excellent book uh, and I highly recommend it. Uh, but I want to move over to a couple of recent essays that you've done. And we've talked with you about this first one. And when I looked at the headline on it, it took my breath away. And you said, World War Three is here and it's an ongoing psyop to break America. Uh, so even though we've had a, a show on this, set this up a bit for us, Scott Powell. Well, you know, you have to understand your enemy. I mean, w- we have to face the fact that we live and always really have had conflict in the world. Um, and successful countries oftentimes <clears throat> bring envy and the wrath of other nations. And we have enemies, and they're serious enemies. And our most implacable enemy of the 20th century has been the communist nations. You know, communism purports to hold out a vision of a, you know, of a Marxist utopian society. We all know that that was a false vision, but it was nonetheless there, and it and it served to uh, mobilize people for uh, that cause. So we dealt with Russia differently than we're dealing with China. Uh, you know, we basically outlasted Russia, their, their system, because it, it truly was a socialist system. It did not work out. Uh, the, the economy really collapsed in the greater uh, Soviet Union. And it was at that point that, that the, you know, the, the, the Russian, the, the Soviet uh, agglomeration, I think they, they had 21-odd nations in the, you know, in the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, they were disbanded. Ukraine was one of them. Ukraine gained its independence, as did Czechoslovakia and Romania, Hungary, and many, many others. Um, And meanwhile, of course, China became a communist nation in 1949, and their course was different. They're best known for cultural revolution, where they uh, turned the the people themselves uh, against themselves through the Cultural Revolution. So we had hoped uh, that by doing trade with Russia, with China, because China, China woke up to the fact that they could not follow the socialist model of economy and expect to, to, to you know, to uh, have the kind of economic advancement that they were observing in Europe and America and elsewhere. And so they, they adopted a modified uh, market system that served to you know, lift people out of poverty in China, and it was the hopes of uh, business people in the West that as they interacted in our government, as the Chinese interacted with us, that they would liberalize. So we could justify doing business in a communist nation uh, because there was hope that uh, they wouldn't turn on us, that they would become a trading partner, and we would benefit by, you know, by offshoring manufacturing uh, they had a cheaper labor source. All of it was understandable from rational business calculation. Uh, the political calculation perhaps wasn't as good. It was too much optimism there. But we all we all know that uh, things changed over time. I mean, the 
you know, since uh, from Deng Xiaoping's time of liberalizing the Chinese economy, I think they had four different presidents. Xi Jinping took over in 2012, and he's really turned China back to the Maoist communist model. And he's declared that America is the enemy of China. This, this is, these are his words. He said it many times. So, so the big question that every American should be asking is, well, if he's the enemy of, of us, if he, he views us as the enemy, why, why, why should we be uh, trading with them and giving them economic benefit? Uh, Good point, huh? <laughs> right. But, but, you know, once you're in, ensconced in uh, have your manufacturing located over there, it's kind of hard to, to change it. There has been changes going on, but it hasn't been fast enough. And and we have a cultural, you know, uh, you know, the the culture in this country has really been co-opted by the Chinese. I mean, you think of sports as being a, a really important part of our of our, you know, one important part of our culture, right? We look at LeBron James and and Nike. Nike does all its manufacturing over there, and they they're really more pro-China than they are pro-American now. It's so remarkable to me, Scott, that these businesses that were founded because of the freedom of the American idea, the capitalism and free markets, and of course we've seen assaults on that through rules, regulations, taxes and all, but but still, this, this, this opportunity that created these businesses and now it's like they almost don't like us. I, I find it, I find it well, troubling. I, I find, I'll tell you, the the psyop, the propaganda psyop that's been waged about America, has infected uh, the corporate class as much as anybody else. It's probably affected the corporate class more than it has the, the working stiffs, if you will. Um, so, so they. And part of it also is is that is the just the growing secularization of our country. You know, when people people get get rich, uh, when they're economically successful, they have a tendency to think, "Well, I did this. I don't need God. I did this. I I can I can chart my own course. You know, I've got. You know, I'm wealthy. I can I can make my own choices. I don't I don't have to. Uh, you know. I don't have to answer to God. Um, and they, they fail to recognize that it's really all God's, you know, everything, everything in the earth, all the money, everything is, is all God's. And that when we're allowed to succeed, uh, you know, we should take some of that success and give back to society. Now, capitalism as a system does that. That's why I've always felt that, that corporations shouldn't become woke and combine philanthropy and, and social justice with business because businesses all exist because they're producing a good or a service that other people want. In other words, they're, pr- they're producing something that helps other people. So be good at what you do in business and keep the politics out of it. And I think it's absolutely crazy uh, that corporations would go woke because half their customers at least half, probably a lot more than half, are not woke. And so why, why would you betray more than half your customer base? I mean, it's almost like these people have lost their, common, their business common sense. Well, it, it is remarkable. And uh, I think quietly people have made 
choices regarding some of these um, woke movements by some of these corporatists. And you're seeing that appear in the bottom lines and of, of these, um, the financial bottom lines of these uh, corporations. And I start to see some of them becoming a little less woke yes, as they are true. seeing their bottom lines affected. But let's, let's make them totally unwoke and help them recognize that their prosperity and their success comes from the freedoms that America, uh, you know, is based on. Free choice, free the free market leads to prosperity. It 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 does two things: it raises the quality of goods and it drives prices down. I mean, that's it's and no one's in charge of it. That's the that's the wonderful thing about it. It, it, it isn't orchestrated by some centrally central planning government agency. It, it, is, it, it is happening by the interplay of, of freedom of the marketplace. Uh, and if workers are unhappy where they are, uh, you, you, you're free to go form your own corporation. If you've learned right. a skill, if you're in, in, in a trade and you've learned the skill, you can see that the way to upward mobility is not working for someone else but rather working for yourself and hiring other people. <laughs> and so the, ro- the road to success in America is so broad. It's our huge superhighway in America. We find, you know, millionaires, multimillionaires in, that came out of the trades, as, as well as, you know, lawyers and doctors and corporate executives. Uh, yeah, we're we're an incredible country, actually. Well, we really are, and there's this ongoing psyop, I think, to to keep Americans fearful. I mean, you also see it just in in advertising. This will happen to you if you don't use this product. So there's that fear coer- fear that's used in that. Uh, I really w- would like products to say, "Hey, this is how this makes your life better." But uh, fear is a uh, is a is a very powerful thing, and we are seeing that used on the American people, uh, day in, day out, minute by minute. Uh, Scott Powell, I, I agree with you. I, I really do. I think that that uh, you know the 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 way that our enemy works is is really through uh, three major uh, things. It's information in the form of propaganda that we are subject to propaganda all the time. There's psychological operations or psyops. That's what we've been talking about mainly here, um, and we could see how the psychology of Washington affected the outcome. A positive psychology, uh, you know, a godly psychology has huge impact. Mm-hmm. And, and the third area that our enemy uses is infiltration of the target institutions, or, or the uh, you know of the country. So we have our institutions targeted by the Chinese. Where we have. An incredible infiltration of, of Chinese uh, personnel and money in America. They're buying up our farmland. Um, they, they, they are forming companies that compete against ours in our own, you know, in our own country. Um, but they, they've declared us the enemy. So we have to be wary of everything they do, right? Why, why would you help your enemy? You, you, you don't want to help your enemy. Well, and before we go to break, Scott, I, I want to make this point, and it took me a little while. Under the Trump administration, when he increased these tariffs on China, because I'm, I'm a free market girl, I, I like, but I realized that there also has to be not only free markets, but fair markets. So when China uh, uses their government monies to subsidize businesses so that they can undercut American businesses, 
then that's not free and fair markets. And so that was one of the, the things. It took me a while to get to a point where I was comfortable with those tariffs. But that that made sense because if you have a government that's subsidizing businesses to put your businesses out of out of business, that's a problem, Scott. Absolutely, it is. Yes, yes. So, and then we look at what, what one of the first things that Biden did uh, um, was to was to change uh, many of many of the the fundamental things that, that Trump had put in place. He was a little slower on tariffs. Tariffs came off in his, in this in this year in his mm-hmm. second year. I saw that he's taken, he's taken tariffs. But off. he he was right out of, out of the box to destroy it, or try energy. to destroy energy. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. so okay, let's go to break. I'm talking with Scott P. Powell. He is a uh, senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and we're talking about uh, his book Rediscovering America: How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing story about who we are, as well as two very important essays that uh, he's published recently at Town Hall. So we will be right back with Scott Powell. Hey, everybody. Roots Medical here with an exciting update about the practice. In addition to specialties in hormones, thyroid and gut health, Roots Medical is thrilled to now offer pediatrics. Scheduling is easy and the appointments are comprehensive, genuine and focused on your child. Take control of your child's health care by scheduling at Roots Medical. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is KimMunson.com, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Scott S. Powell. And he is an author. He has this great uh, new book out rediscovering America. But Scott, I've referred to you as Scott P. Powell through the whole show, but it is Scott S. Powell. So I wanted to make that clarification and I apologize. Oh, don't worry. So, but we like to get it right here. So uh, let's talk uh, for this last segment. We've got about 10 minutes. Uh, You have companion pieces that you've written in town hall and the first one is is world war three is here and it's an ongoing psyop to break america which took my breath away to acknowledge that but then the second one is world war three is here so how do we win so take us through that scott okay well first just in case someone's just joined the show uh, the PSYOP has largely worked in, in carrying out two of the threefold strategy of the, 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 the communist enemy to defeat us. One is 
to demoralize us, and that's done through, you know, through largely through propaganda and and sort of psychological operations. The demoralization, you know, is oftentimes it takes a long time, it takes generations. So we now see in the woke young people that it's pretty well fulfilled. Uh, the psychological operation has broken the young people to, you know, to basically abandon the roots of where they came from and embrace, uh, you know, a, a utopian, confused view of the world. The, the next stage is the destabilization stage, and that uh, has been completed through, or we're, in, we're still in it, but it started really with, and I think in a major way, with the COVID pandemic, the shutting down of our economy, the closing of our schools, uh, you know, the, the, the change in people's attitude towards work and so forth, the, dependence, the greater dependency on government, trust in government grew. Um, and uh, and the next stage is the final, you know, the destabilization stage was sort of fulfilled through COVID, where, you know, where the voting protocols were changed in key swing states, where mail-in batting, mail-in uh, ballots were greatly expanded. I mean, exponentially expanded. Uh, we we had you know drop boxes placed, funded by uh, by uh, um, you know Zuckerberg. Um, Facebook, um, and we, we had voting irregularities that were just, you know, outlandish. Industrial scale vote fraud, I think, was committed, and we know the result. The result is that they got rid of Trump. He was the enemy, and we have uh, Joe Biden installed. Joe Biden is a compromised. Not only is he, you know, is, is he incompetent mentally, it's a question of, of mental competence, but he's compromised. He's take, his family's taken $31 million from the Chinese. This is all factual, verifiable. This would be unthinkable even 20 years ago that you could have a president that was bribed by, by a foreign power, um, an enemy foreign power, I might add. This is China. So uh, we're, now in this, we're, we're now in this destabilization period and, uh, you know, they want to push us into the crisis period. And the crisis is usually involves a, you know, a, 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 mili- a, you know, a, a conflict, a, a military uh, conflict that might be a civil war. It might be an international war. We don't we certainly don't want a civil war. So the big question is, so what do we do? How do we how do we stop this destabilization phase and, and avoid the crisis uh, that'll take our country down. A civil war today would be the end of America. We're not going to recover from that. It, it, it just is unthinkable. We're already very weak as a people, um, and we have enemies. So they would just pick up the pieces from right. the civil war. So uh, what do we do? Well, I, I think, you know, first of all, we have to, I, I think, identify um, the priorities that we need. We, we need military readiness. We, we need to restore law and order, and we need to reestablish energy independence. Uh, and, the, and, the, uh, and, and you note, under Biden, these were, these were the very things that have, that have been mainly uh, weakened and diminished. Our military readiness is, is it was a disgrace what happened uh, in, in Afghanistan. It demoralized the troops. Um, law and order, this was undermined during COVID, defunding the police and and the politicization of our law enforcement through the FBI and so forth this is 
this is this is all happening right before our very eyes and we lost our energy independence um and that's you know and that meant that lower supplies you know caused prices to rise and we created an inflationary spiral because so many things depend on oil and gas um and when you increase those prices it it travels right through the you know the chain of the economy you know transportation costs go up food costs go up consumer products go up and so forth so we those are i think are are, are three important priorities of things that we can do now uh and but the fourth priority is something that's that we've touched upon but it's so important we need to rebuild america's stability uh an opportunity to and to do that we need to restore an understanding and appreciation of you know of our of of who we are as people uh our constitution our, and our unique national heritage and this is clearly a long-term objective it's not going to be done overnight it'll take years but at least we can seize and replace unbalanced history narratives that are contained in critical race theory and revisionist American history in, in uh, K through 12 schools, all of that should be ended. I mean, Trump did that in his last year, but it's all been reversed. In fact, most people don't realize this, but Merrick Garland, who is our attorney general, he has a son-in-law who founded a company called Panorama. Panorama is the largest producer of critical race indoctrination curriculum of any company in America. Oh, my gosh. I did not know that. It seems like maybe I heard something along that line, but I did not uh, quite realize that. Scott S. Powell, um, we have just a couple of minutes left. Uh, This has been just so informative. And we can turn this around, and we can turn this around with elections, correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think people are people are very unhappy with the direction this country is going. It's amazing here. I live in South Florida, and I have a lot of a lot of friends in the Latin American community from all the different nations. I mean, Brazilians, Argentinians, Peruvians, Venezuelans, and to a, to a person, and these are mainly working class people. But to a person, they say, "What's wrong with you, American people?" Don't you see what's going on? This is a communist revolution that's taking place in your country. We see it clearly. This is what happened to us. <laughs> yes. And, and many times people that have moved here are, are the most fervent patriots because they've come from uh, what they see America becoming. Uh, but we can turn this around. And I think, Scott, God had his hand on America at the founding. And everyday people stepped forward. And I see that happening today as well. It seems daunting as we're talking about the uh, the patriots standing up against the British for everyday people to stand up against uh, big corporations and big government and big tech and big academia and, and big everything. It seems daunting, but we are Americans, Scott Powell. We are. Absolutely. It's ab- absolutely. You know, and patriots, you know, committed to the defense of freedom and the pursuit of tr- uh, truth and equal justice under the law, just, you know, we've got to bring more people from the sidelines into this great work of restoration and renewal. All of us can do more. You know, we are, you know, we're a country of the people, by the people, for the people. So the solutions come from the people. So each one of us needs to be a light to shine in the darkness. Each one of us needs to enhance our relational skills to 
to, to build relationships with people, to, to enter into conversations with people. Because, uh, uh, you know, if, if we mobilize, the, the, you know, for the patriot cause, we're surely going to win it. Absolutely. Scott S. Powell, uh, Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute and author of Rediscovering America. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kim. And our quote for the end of the show is from Abraham Lincoln. He said, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America.